Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on an end man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder. That's ridiculous. Really? Yeah. Are you sure it's yeah, ridiculous? Yeah, I am, because I was all into it. <laughs> and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute, minute at a time. time. No, no synchronized. Next thing you know, we'll be wearing matching shirts. How dare you? Get the oh, hell out of never. here. Oh, never. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 57 of Dead Man's Chest. You're welcome. What is going on here? <laughs> it's so Seriously. supposed to me. So you're in rare form today, and I have a feeling it has to do with, say, fermentation, grapes. Oh, yeah. I think there's a wine bottle that has disappeared in your presence. I can't drink the whole bottle myself. It sounds like you did, actually. <laughs> Got close, but I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. I have maybe an answer, or at least it's a good hypothesis as to why Jack says his eyesight is as good as ever. The out of the blue comment from the previous minute we were discussing. Yeah. I know it'll be hard for you to comprehend in your inebriated state, but I'm going to give it a shot. Caitlin was kind enough to come out and give us an answer. She came to our rescue. Ease that bewilderment that we were having there. She says, I always thought that when Jack said that, he was pointing out that he could see Gibbs, Pintel, and Rigetti doing the weird spin and spit thing. I might be <laughs> wrong, but I don't think he was all that impressed that they did that. And he may have been reminding them that he could see them. That's what her idea that is. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I like the explanation, actually. Yeah. Because it fits with the scenario. They basically react like Jack's got the plague or leprosy well, or does. something. Kind of does, yeah. And that, well, the idea that he's blemished and unclean and even maybe cursed, that's what's <laughs> going on there. Obviously, he's not happy that the bulbous thing on his hand is there. The bulbous moving thing, by the way. Yeah, it is nasty. And instead of being a little, like, empathetic to the situation... Gibbs, Pintel, and Rigetti, like, their first reaction is to protect themselves. Try and ward off the curse so they don't get it. Well, it makes sense. And as Caitlin hypothesized, he was reminding them that he saw their antics. Makes sense to me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. It's like it didn't go unnoticed. Like, really, you didn't care about me. You were more worried about yourselves, and I'm the captain here saving the day. And you really didn't give a rat's ass that I had this thing on my hand. I'd be more worried about myself also. Hey. I don't want that black thing. We've on already me. established that they're in it for themselves. So I don't know why it's a surprise to Jack, but yeah, there it is. So, like I said, thanks, Caitlin. Always appreciate the insight. Yes. Maybe it answers that question because it really was just, I thought, a bizarre line that popped yeah. out. Yeah. I really didn't know that, but I think that makes sense. So, with that said, what do you say? Word of the week. 
Pirate word of the week. I almost forgot. I was going to roll right into it. Yeah. Thank- <laughs> no, I didn't forget. That's why I said uh, what that said. Uh-huh. Okay, pirate word of the week. <laughs> Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate word of the week in five, four, three, two. Yar. Okay. Okay, you're not going to be excited about this one. Damn it kind of fits in with the minute. It's more factual than fun. That's okay. Eh, you know. Historical. We're going to go with Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder? Yeah. Well, that has a weird element to it. Okay. <laughs> it's a rope ladder that's used to climb aboard a boat or a ship. See, and I was thinking Jacob's Ladder as in a whole different topic, actually. No, no, okay. no, no. It's the ladder that uh, so it's like- Will climbs in the minute. So Will is climbing down Jacob's ladder. Yep. Better than climbing up Jacob's ladder. <laughs> but it reminds me of like Star Trek because the Jeffries tube. So did the person who create this ladder was his name Jacob? It had to have been, right? You didn't look it up, did you? Are you kidding me? I didn't get that part of it. How could you not? That is my question. And then I don't know. That- I've got information on it, but okay, I don't go have. For it. What's your information? So it applies to two different types of rope ladder. Okay. Okay. The first one being a flexible hanging ladder. It consists of a vertical ropes and chain supporting horizontal, historical round and wooden rungs. All right. So you went with the construction aspect of things. Uh, While they are a popular way of boarding the vessel and carrying out shipside maintenance during the era of wooden ships and even in the 1950s, their use today on board modern merchant ships is minimal due to obvious safety issues because OSHA's involved now. Ah, OSHA. Yes. You blimey beast. <laughs> today, Jacob's ladders are only used to board lifeboats, life rafts, and as a draft ladder. So ladder. when your life is in danger, then it's okay to use the Jacob's ladder. But other times, no. Don't other than it. that, OSHA says do not use the Jacob's yeah. ladder. OSHA, you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> We've all seen the videos on Facebook of <laughs> other countries doing crazy things, and we go, man, you can't do that today. Yeah. Yeah. There's good and there's bad with that, I guess. Okay. Now, with that said, and we're all pondering if Jacob really created the ladder, in the previous minute, feeling a little deflated after Will Turner stills Tia Dalma's affections from him, takes it upon himself to spontaneously and inappropriately blurt out that is, mm, is as good as ever. Just so you know. Now that we got that settled, Tia goes behind the old school video store curtain. A walk down memory lane for those out there who remember video stores. Yeah, <laughs> there was actually a time when you had to get in your car, drive to the local video store, rent said video, go home and return it the next day. Be kind, rewind. Have you ever been to a video store that actually had the curtain? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've... I've, I've never gone into the curtain. No, I was a I little guy. I don't think I've actually been to a video store that had a curtain. I remember there was a curtain in one. Really? Yeah, in Folsom, California. <laughs> I don't remember what the video store name was, but they did have a curtain. Wow. There. I don't recall anybody having a curtain. Well, there you go then. I mean, we all knew what was behind the curtain. Well, not me. I was innocent. But you. I was an innocent well, no, little guy. You, you, you knew because of television. Because of television. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, you're hijacking my minute. So you want information on this, but you can't bring us Jacob's Ladder. Anyways, she goes behind the creepy curtain. Okay, which applies to both Tia Shack and said video stores. <laughs> exposes the contents of her back room. Rumbles around for a minute. And when the job is finished and everyone's feeling a bit dirty, 
turns with a metaphorically appropriate jar of dirt. Hot Minute 57 begins with Jack pulling the jar closer to his chest as Will tells Tia Dalma, It seems we have a need to find the Flying Dutchman. Tia responds with a smile and sits down, cupping a handful of crab claws. The minute ends with Will telling Jack and Gibbs while looking over the side of the Black Pearl, At the Flying Dutchman, I cut down anyone in my path. When Will walks away, Jack turns to Gibbs. I like it. Simple. Easy to remember. We cut to a longboat in the water, tethered with a rope and being held by Rigetti as it waits to be boarded. Your chariot awaits you, sire. There, was that at least a little better? It was. But the I mean, squeaky it, voice of, of Rigetti would have helped a little bit. Uh, he didn't really squeak it there. I almost kinda, had trouble. It was kind of weird. Just finding, oh, was, was that Rigetti? I almost didn't know because I was waiting yeah. for like the... This has been an image of bootstrap Bill, but I didn't get that. I got your chariot awaits, sir. Not quite like that. Not but okay. quite like that. Something like that. It wasn't that uh, chauffeur-like. Chauffeur-like? That's butler, by the way. Butler-like. Okay, firstly, I have to mention that Will is someone after my own heart and personality. That's really? probably why we have such a kindred soul connection. Yeah. Not to mention my rugged Legolas good looks. A mix of... Thor and Legolas is what people are saying out there in the audience world. I got one hot guy here, girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's more like a... <laughs> I don't know how I, 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 can't I was able to catch one. this one. <laughs> well, if we're talking comparisons here. I'm like the Thor and the Legolas version. Of the nerd world? Ah! You know, seriously, that right there is uncalled for. <laughs> I was going to say more like <laughs> you know, you the troll world. So amongst no, trolls, no, I'm we'll okay. No, nerd world. Okay. Anyways, but there's no need to display my humility here as I put down the mirror, <laughs> brush back my hair. Will exercises extraordinary patience with Jack. Extraordinary patience. That's me. Uh-huh. That's essentially where we begin. That's far from being you. <laughs> That is me. Talk about patience. You have none. It's patience is a virtue, and I am virtuous. Oh, no. After all, Will has gone through with Jack. All that, you know, those attempts at misleading him in Curse of the Black Pearl, and now, which is rearing its ugly head again in Dead Man's Chest. After all that, Will rolls with this thing that Jack has presented him about the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, why? That's what I was wondering. Is it because that... Will's personality, or is it out of necessity because he needs the compass? Maybe, maybe that's it. It's got to be a necessity. I don't know. I, I mean, I Will just, seems like a fairly level-headed guy. Yeah, he just wants to get the compass, go save Elizabeth. Exactly, and whatever he's got to do to get the damn. He's compass, got a date with a wedding night com- that he's trying compass. to hit. Yeah, but I must say, I got the distinct feeling Will was restraining his real comments, kind of biting his lip when he turns to Tia and says. It seems we have a need to find the Flying Dutchman. You think? Yeah, I was I get wondering that. why he took the lead. I mean, he will really no. takes the lead in this. Yeah, minute. because Tia gravitated towards Will. Well, that's true. The, w- Tia, it's like when you walk in as a company, you know, and you're representing a company. Maybe you have a couple of sales guys or representatives. Yeah. There's one person that usually takes the lead. Yeah. And will has taken that position, not by default that Jack would have normally done that, but the customer has defined who is the lead. And so now they're rolling with that scenario. Okay. This is to ease the customer. But this whole minute he takes the lead. Okay. Yeah, what what I don't get it. You mean oh because he's on the the ship too? Yeah, when he when he goes 
to the uh, the whole scenario with him in the shack is because Tia's involved. When he shows up on the Black Pearl, he takes well, the lead because yeah. he's the one who has to go over there. Jack is probably trying to come up with a convoluted plan about how to get the key. He doesn't really have one, and so. Here's the difference. Jack would try and strategize and have maybe a plan or at least a semblance of a plan. Yeah. Will, remember from season one, rash Will Turner doesn't wait for the planning. Uh. He just wants to jump in. So Will is saying, hey, here's my plan. I don't have one. But if you really want me to say a plan, it's I'm going to go over there and I'm going to check it out. And then Jack's like, well, what if you come across somebody? He's like, well, I'm just going to cut him down. He makes it so black and white. When Jack is like, this is not a black and white scenario here. Right. That's what's going on. So that, that's your reason. I was going to ask you, why is Will the one who's boarding the Dutchman to get the key rather than multiple people from the crew, Jack, you know? Because he made the deal with Jack, Will did, okay. about he's going to get the key. Okay. And then that's going to then I didn't help realize that would be just... But also, you Meaning have to think, him only going he probably on the ship. I don't know if he got into the black spot deal with Will. Probably not the full details, but he probably told him. Well, he does later in one of the minutes tell him about the death, which we can cover in the next minute. So he does tell him that. Yeah. So he probably has told him that I can't go over there because this is going to screw everything up. We need you to go over there. We need somebody to go over there who's not wanted, who's not in debt. That way we can get this boat rolling, this show rolling. Okay. That's my guess. But before you, we got into that, because what I was really saying with Will and his reaction to this whole thing. Yeah. Is that like, if I read his mind, because yes, that is a gift of mine is to be able to read people's minds. Uh, like Will, because we're no. connected. Will is thinking that nothing is ever straightforward with Jack except making the deal. Okay. Yeah. So Will already knows that. Like, I guess, making a simple deal with a genie or a gin. You know, it appears straightforward when you first make the deal. But the longer the deal lasts, the more complicated and convoluted it gets. So, Will, you get this season's, like, most likely to exercise patience award. So, congratulations. Because he's putting up with Jack. Right. And he's putting up with this all this misleading stuff that's happened before. Yeah. I mean, to save Elizabeth, of course. But I guess his certificate's in the mail. Let's just drop Will's certificate in the mail. And unfortunately, Will, there's no tracking number. But Tia could help you. She's good at reading crab claws. You can probably track that package for you. Because speaking of reading the crab claws, look at that seamless transition. I, I dare not bring it up and let it go, but we always talk about our transitions for some stupid reason. <laughs> so I thought, hey, if I actually have a good transition, I might as well point it out. Like, hey, I got one. <laughs> and he scores. Because <laughs> it's few and far between. Yes. But anyways, I really do love the idea of Oracle Bones. I don't know why. I mean, it's popped up in classic literature, so something really that's always fascinated me from a mythology standpoint, you know, because I'm a skeptic who's intrigued by all that stuff, more so on the cultural and like anthropological aspects than maybe anything else about it, because I really do find it fascinating. Sometimes hard to understand, but fascinating. My mind can't comprehend some of that. Anyways, that's not important. At the most basic level... Oracle bones are a group of inscribed animal bones and shells discovered in China and used originally in divination by the ancient Chinese. Divination is in Harry Potter. That it is. It's a class in Harry Potter. I've taken it. It's <laughs> obviously by my knowledge on Oracle bones. And this was especially during the Shang Dynasty, which actually goes from 1766 to 1122 BCE. It's old stuff there. Yes. So over the last 3,000 years or so, 
the Chinese used animal bones to help make important decisions. Nothing says, hey, what should I do? Then throwing a few animal bones on the round. Not sure that's a good idea. Oh, it's a good idea to use animal bones to make decisions. Important decisions, important by the way. Important life decisions. Exactly. Hmm. It's quite interesting. Something I should try. Instead of flipping a coin, why not uh, use some inscribed animal bones? Even flipping a coin is probably not a good idea. Oh, it's a good idea. Why are you? Why are important you such a important life naysayer? decisions should be made strategically, like with a coin or some bones um, or something like that. So to use an oracle bone to cut Heather off from her drunken comments, a diviner made two statements, one positive and one negative. Each oracle bone had then two halves, a positive one and a negative one, with holes bored into each half. When the holes were heated with a burning stick, the bone cracked. The king would read the cracks to find the answers. No one knows exactly how the cracks were interpreted, but afterwards information about the oracle was then carved into the bone. So it wasn't like they were throwing them. They were actually putting holes and inscribed in, or ins- inscribing them and then seeing the and reading the cracks. Okay. Okay. But, but how do se- you read cracks on a bone? That's what I just said. They didn't really Okay, it's more of an art than a science, let's just say. Okay. They're making stuff up. Let's just be <laughs> honest here. The guys going, uh, I'm gonna do this. And the king was pretending that the the gods were providing the right decision when it was really his decision. Okay. You got it now? Yeah. So this whole idea that kind of this oracle bones that we're talking about, throwing bones kind of stuff, spun out of what is this idea of kind of, well, it's more like what we would identify as casting bones, which has some of the same properties like introducing a statement, then throwing the bones and reading the pattern. You mentioned Harry Potter. There's like reading the tea leaves, remember? Yeah, the werewolf. Yeah. In the tea leaves. There you go. So yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And sometimes like we see with Tia Dalma... They use crab claws, throwing them down on a casting map. So you have a casting bones, and then you put, could put them on a casting map. You wouldn't always need a map, but some people use them. Okay. Because you see that on the table. It's this, you know, these symbols, and it looks like kind of a map thing going on, which yeah. actually fades to, like, the archipelago formations that really match the positions of the claws. I like and, that word, archipelago. So you're just going to say that you like archipelago. <laughs> yeah. That's just weird. <laughs> getting you a shirt with the archipelago on it. People go, what does that mean? Go, I just like it. The official terms for divination by casting bones are osteomancy and osomancy. You know, for it's bone. Kind of necromancy-like. Exactly, but bone-related. Okay. Not dead-related. In the general hoodoo method, because we're talking voodoo hoodoo here, uh-huh. the first time that you dedicate a set of bones, they should be the full or partial skeleton of an animal properly sacrificed to your spirit animal who has died of natural causes or legitimate hunting. No poaching here. Legitimate. Legitimate hunting. Each type of bone has its own meaning, and this varies by tradition. So generally, head bones refer to the supreme god or to the state of the person's soul. Vertebrae serve as a gatekeeper between the physical and the spirit realms. Teeth represent a specifically divine movement. And canine teeth and upper beaks, if you happen to be using bird, uh-huh. represent war or conflict. But she just had claws here. Yeah? Just saying. You're not following along, are you? Some people saying. use bones. Some people use I'm just saying claws. she just had claws. She just had claws. So she has to read the different so size claws. So all one, please. One. She, no. She thing. probably had her own meaning. It was... General hoodoo voodoo, not this is written in stone or bone. Okay. Your drunken state. It's clouded your mind, I think. I don't get clouded in my drunken state. Arr, grog. 
You've proved it out there. <laughs> and your drunken state. How dare you? It doesn't allow you to speak properly. Really? Yeah. It's war and conflict is what we are talking about. And you sidelined us. Because that's actually an interesting segue. War, conflict. Because that's where we're headed. How do you know? I maybe have seen the movie. And I threw the oracle bones down. The casting bones. But before things get serious, I have to give Gore a pat on the back for a subtle joke. Okay? A film is what we're talking about here that has and goes to extremes. It has Pelagosto Canyon flipping slapstick jack and a return to good form with subtle jokes that make the audience smile and chuckle. That's what I like. I'm more on the subtle side of things here with the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise stuff. That's just my preference. But to each their own. We have it all in these movies. Because as they're pondering the Flying Dutchman on the rocks there, hanging out, you know, there's a couple of moments that I really liked on this joke thing. Okay. The first is Jack scratching his chin only to give him kind of pause. <laughs> this realization hits the black spot hand. I, I pointed that out to you, by the way. I know, and I liked it. He, well, he's not happy about that. No. It's like, oh, that was a little too close to my face. Gives him the, oh, moment. And I don't want to touch my face with that hand. You wouldn't want to touch any part of your body. That's a good point. With that hand. You don't want black spot anywhere. No. Because I said the last minute, perhaps a full glove or something, Jack. Come on. Put that sucker under heavy wraps. Yeah. Wrap that baby up. You don't want that stuff penetrating anywhere else. No, you don't. Can you imagine that bulbous? Oh, God. He's lucky that black spot doesn't move around his body. Oh, that'd be kind of interesting, actually. No, it wouldn't be interesting. It'd be spooky. Okay. The second one on my list is Gibbs. Because did you watch him over the entire minute when we're all on the Black Pearl? Like, from the Black Pearl on? Yeah, he kind of looks like a bit nervous or a little worried about the situation. Exactly. Dude, I mean, he's like holding the same expression the whole (laughs) time. Even after Jack elbows him to pipe in, kind of back him up when he's talking to Will, he goes (laughs) back to that superstitious look on his face. He's doing pretty good at hiding it, like his maybe fears or uneasiness. But he senses something is awry. Let's yeah. just say that. Because he's not really afraid. We know he, Gibbs doesn't necessarily get afraid. He thinks this is not a gets, good situation. Yeah. It's like, beware that this is not a pleasant situation that's about to unfold. He's got that. He's got that feeling. When you said beware, it brought up Goonies in my mind. Ye intruders, beware. <laughs> We're not going to go over that again. But Kevin McNally nails it. It's like, well done, sir. Yeah. Soaked with blood of the trespassing thief. Okay, now, because I had to say the rest of it in my mind, and that's where I ended up. (laughs) Okay, Sheldon. (laughs) (laughs) Since I'm still kind of hovering on a list of things that I like, it's not like an official list of my favorite things, but it's related. Kind of related. Tangentially related. They're one-shots. You've been kind of doing a lot of these lists lately. I do. I like them. Because it's like quick burst of, this is what I like. So, like I said, we'll just call it one-shots. So the blue and dark tones that occupy most of this minute, the entire Black Pearl sequence, that's what I like. I like that return to the darkness, only with this caveat. Because, so all these dark colors and blues, then in the background we have a crewman walking around with a lantern. Yeah. It's like a light spot in a rather dark world at this moment. And then I think actually there's another lantern back there too. So there's like there's there's two two bright spots. Yeah. And I look at these things as kind of like those sayings, like the darkest, it's always darkest before the dawn symbol kind of thing. Before the storm? That's the calm before the storm. Oh, okay. Darkest before the, you better get on board here. (laughs) 
Davy Jones, a terrible beastie, East India Company, Elizabeth's on the run. It's a dark world right now out there. Especially for Will. Yeah. And there's a couple of bright spots still going on. And all hope is not really lost is kind of the symbology I get with this. So I guess we're going to have to wait to see who those light spots are. But maybe they begin with an E and a W. Possibly. There are light spots in the dark world. That fair, complected young woman pretending to be a man aboard the Edinburgh Trader. I forgot we we actually seen her. That's right, you did, and that's why I threw it out. I was because, all wait because I knew you didn't. I forgot. You had no clue. It's been so long ago. That's because we're viewing the movie one freaking minute at a time. <laughs> For production and cinematography, it looks incredible, and it highlights that contrast that we see. I like that, especially since they're all looking at the Dutchman there. So the bright spots, the symbol, the darkness, the storm, which is really cool. Yeah. Because I have some stuff on the storms in that whole legend and stuff, which is about the Dutchman, that I'll bring thing, next time. My thing about the storm is it looks like it's pre- raining pretty heavily, yet there's no water like pouring down anybody's face. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they're, they're under an umbrella. Does Jack have his hat on, actually? No, he lost no, his hat. No, yeah. That's weird. It's like they're under an umbrella. Poor Cotton. He's up there having to hold like some canvas <laughs> above their head to prevent them from getting wet. <laughs> That's I sad. do have to agree with Will as far as the Flying Dutchman looking as a wreck. Exactly. I mean, it looks like it's in two pieces out there. It does. I think part the middle is just s- s- below water. Oh, okay. Possibly. But we'll still. have to wait. And of course it looks like a wreck. Yeah. I agree. There's even floating debris. It's like, yeah. Come on. Contain your debris, guys. We need a clean ocean out there for the animals. Thank you for that, actually. Because I work with ocean conservation. And bird conservation. (laughs) So it's a good public service message. (laughs) Now to bring this this show that we were moving forward on, and then you kind of brought it back to reality, which is, uh, that's abhorrent, actually. That's how dare you. So, yeah, as we're talking about the Flying Dutchman, I mean, even just mentioning the ship on the show here is like opening Pandora's box. Because I'm actually being drowned in information. So much that I'll need to show some... Like, Will Turner restraint to prevent overstaying my welcome. You know, the tap on the shoulder kind of thing. (laughs) But since we are trying to keep things rather consistent, you know, at least from a time perspective, and I dove into casting bones and divination a little bit, I'm just going to give this the quick Dutchman introduction, and then we can spread out the love of this legendary ship which stretches from the film to actual real-world mythos. Always love me some mythology, like I said. That So I'll bring it back. And we'll kind of cover it as we go along with the Dutchman. Okay. Because there really is a ton of stuff. And the Dutchman was an infamous, like, supernatural ghost ship. And it originally held this, like, sacred task of collecting all the poor souls who died at sea and ferrying them into the afterlife. During the Golden Age of Piracy, the Dutchman would become a ship feared by many across the seven seas. The Flying Dutchman weighed... This is for all those who are interested in the details. Because we're going to do details today. We'll do... More myth and legend later on. So the Dutchman weighs 420 tons and was 170 feet long, stern to bow. It was armed with 46 cannons, not including two triple-barreled chase guns. The Dutchman was considered to be the fastest ship, both on and, spoiler, beneath the sea. Faster than the Black Pearl? Yep. Didn't I just say considered to be? Yeah, I was just verifying. But there will be some maybe information we talk about that. 
And so the Dutchman's main armament consists of 26 36-pound cannons and 18 24-pound cannons, supplemented by three pounders on the quarterdeck and forecastle, making her capable of delivering a 588-pound broadside if she were to roll up along a ship. If she were to fire all of those, it's like 588 pounds worth of cannonballs flying your way. Wow. Exactly. The Dutchman's rigging consisted of three masts, the fore, the mizzen, and the main. Let's just say the prow of the ship resembled a fanged mouth, because we'll get back to stuff that we can actually visualize, and featured a card figurehead resembling the Grim Reaper and his scythe. While the uncorrupted prow looked like a head of a crocodile and may, or maybe a barracuda, with wooden spikes resembling razor-sharp teeth. Wow. Exactly. So what do you say? Should we wrap this up on Grim Reaper? Sounds good. Yeah. It's like the perfect symbol for Monday. Oh, yeah, it of, is. The death of the weekend, <laughs> going back to work. Plus the optimistic fan favorite ending of Death and Apocalypse. Everybody clamors for that for some reason. I like the happy thoughts, but we got to give the listeners what they want. You know, can't be selfish. I want to end optimistically. They want Apocalypse and uh, Death and Grim Reaper. Are you sure it's not the other way around? I'm pretty positive because I positive. Remember, positive, optimistic. Uh-huh. Well, something like that. Anyways, we'll be back on Wednesday with Minute 58 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Sounds like a plan, I guess. Yep. And then drink Monday. into a maximum. For a Monday? Jesus. Why not? Wow. That's because you're hammered now. You just want to continue the party all week long. Well, you know, it's the way it goes. It's going to be a drunken week for you then, I guess. Maybe. You'll probably get more work done than you ever have. Probably. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.